Good stuff. So, welcome to another episode of Stuff You Should Know About IP. We're doing things a little bit differently today, uh, doing the, uh, the, the uh, webinar version of the podcast. Um, and it's been a couple weeks. I've been out um, traveling, and uh, so Tom was gracious enough to do a brief reprieve on the podcast, but now we're back in action, and uh, we're going to talk today again about trademarks, and Tom, I think you had uh, a really interesting story that you were telling me a little bit about in the chat before we got started. Um, yes. I will let you take it from here and, and tell the story about your friend who started a clothing line. Yes, actually, so so I have, as you know, I've got three teenage daughters, two are 19, one is 20. Actually, two are 19, one just turned 21. And as you can also imagine, when you grew up in a household with three kids of the same gender, of essentially the same age, basically like triplets, it becomes a gravity center. And with the gravity center, you attract a whole bunch of other kids in that age group. So I always have this household of, you know, half a dozen to a dozen kids wandering in and out every day, and inevitably they end up in my home office. So a few a few nights ago, one of the kids ended up in my home office. Her name is Kylie. She had a really interesting story that is completely worth telling here. So Kylie is a, uh, should be a freshman in college this year, but she decided to forego her freshman year in college and start her own company, which I thought was a really cool idea. It's not for everybody. College isn't for everybody, but she's super passionate about clothing and she's creative and she's always in her basement making up hoodies and and uh, sweatpants and hats and t-shirts. And she takes these hoodies and cuts them down the middle and then sews two different hoodies together and, and has this whole style about her. And she's really cool. You know, like kids that I've met that know her and when I've mentioned her said, wow, she's a really good dresser. So when she came to me a few months ago and asked me whether I thought it was a good idea if she dropped out of college to start her own business, I didn't give her advice one way or the other because it's something her parents needed to do. But in my heart, I thought, wow, she's really passionate about this. And it's fine. It's hard to find 17, 18 year old kids who are passionate about anything. So she ended up taking one class instead of five and started making stuff in her mom's basement. So, so just to kind of build up the background of how we arrived at last night, um, she was in my house because she wanted me to help her with a business. Actually, it was a couple of nights ago. She wanted me to help her with a business plan. So with respect to her business plan, when she came walking in, I asked a little bit about what she's been doing. And here's what she's been doing leading up till today. About three months ago, she started sewing hats and the, and the pants and the hoodies and the t-shirts to build herself up enough product to go to a local trade show. Not even a trade show, more of a more of a streetwear market. And I went to it and it was in this really small building. There were all these people that looked a lot like her all selling their wares and she did pretty well. She sold like $500 worth of stuff and she was thrilled. So she started sewing and creating and making stuff in her basement again and she did another one of these events and she sold like $600 this time. So now she's making a little bit of money and she wanted to have a business. So she came to me the other night and said, can I help her with her business plan? So we sat down at my home office and the first thing I asked her, of course, because I'm an IP guy, right, is 
what are you doing about this trademark? Now, her trademark is pretty cool. It's called lunacy. And, you know, there are lunatics and there are people who are loony. So hers is going to be lunacy. And she wanted to be like this cool streetwear brand. And she's got this creative brand that goes with lunacy. So it's not just a word. It's also a, it's also a logo. So she's got what you call a composite mark, which is a word and a logo. But it's mostly the word lunacy. So I, of course, asked her, where did she come up with it? She just thought of it. And has she done any trademark searching? And of course, she looked at me like a deer in headlights because she didn't know what a trademark was. So I gave her a quick primer on trademark law. And I said, okay, we need to assess whether or not there's any other lunacy trademarks out there on clothing. And she assured me that she what that there weren't because, you know, she's kind of in the biz and she says, um, I've never heard of it before and I've never seen it before, but she's 18. So I jumped on my good friend, or I called my good friend Google, and I asked Google about lunacy. And Google responded in about 10 seconds with Lunacy Apparel, a UK company that has hats and hoodies and sweatpants and T-shirts with the brand Lunacy on them. So, Ray, I ask you, if you were an adult coming in to see me with a business and I were to tell you this, would you be upset? All right. Now, Ray, I just want you to know, I can't hear you. Oh, oh, there we go. Sorry. Uh, there you go. <laughs> if I had already invested in the name, I would be pretty upset. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be oh, disappointed. Yeah. So when I told her, first thing she did was look at me and say, no way. No way. There's no way they were there before me. And I said, well, how long have you been in business? And she said about four months. Now, we just saw a fully established website selling product with the Lunacy brand on it from the UK. I don't know when they started their business. Now, remember, just to kind of give a quick overview, trademark rights flow from use in commerce, right? And if you use your mark in commerce, you don't have to have a registration. You get rights. And if you're selling product in the US, and this company in the UK was clearly selling in the US because it was valuable for me to buy, you're establishing trademark rights. So the question is, whose trademark rights have the priority, right? Who would prevail in a fight? And it, it's really whoever started using it in commerce first in that particular area. So she said to me, well, how do you know I'm not first? And I said, I have no idea when this person started. I've only been searching for like 45 seconds to a minute. But my statement to you is, let's get a new name. Because they look like they're pretty established. And they look like they've been around for more than three or four months. So her response, as a young girl who has never been in business and never faced anything like that, but is very passionate about what she's doing, was to burst out crying. And I felt terrible, as you can imagine. I am sitting at my home office with a young girl who is sobbing because I like the way you put that, Ray. You said if you had invested a lot of money in this, you'd be disappointed. Well, what I discovered, because that's my attitude, my quick response was, You've only been in this for about three or four months. Who cares? There's a zillion other marks you can get. Let's just pick another one. But that's not the mind of an 18-year-old girl who has been super passionate about this for four months and building her self-identity around it. Okay? Mm. It's more than a business for her. She's out in the marketplace with her peer group. 
out at these little market streetwear events. She's standing up at one of them giving a speech about how she came up with the name Lunacy. That's the one I went to. She has all these people thinking she's really cool and talking about her brand. There's yeah. this local band that, that started pitching her brand. So for her, it's more than how much money have you really invested in this? It's way more than that for her. For her, it's how much emotion, how much self-identity have you put into this brand and it literally reduced her to tears. The reason I love this story is not because a teenage girl was, was sobbing about potentially losing a trademark, but it goes to show you the importance of focusing and facing intellectual property at the very beginning of a business. So she's starting this brand and she's only 18, so she doesn't know any better. And I really wish she had talked to me first because first thing I would have done, especially now that I know how emotionally, how emotionally charged this is, I would have said, let's do a search. Now, it doesn't mean do a formal trademark search right away. I mean, I found this mark in about 10 seconds. It means Google your brand to death to find out if there's anything out there that's close to what you're doing that's related to your industry. Now, if we had found lunacy for you know movie making or lunacy for a law firm, that's different than lunacy for apparel. But in this case, it was actually lunacy for a law firm too. Yeah, there probably wouldn't be a law firm named Lunacy. That would be very loony to have a law firm named Lunacy. But the point is, if she had done a quick search early on, months ago, before she built any personal equity in this brand, it wouldn't have been a big deal. She would have just moved along to another one. But instead, she did, she, she waited. She didn't do the search. She got all excited about it, all emotionally charged about it went out in the marketplace, started to saw some, see some success. And can you imagine a kid who's not doing super well academically, but is super passionate about business and finding some real value in this, all of a sudden getting let down like this. So, so that was the story of Kylie. Now, the good news is at the end of, oh, I don't know, I don't know how long the song went on for because she left. And then she came back a few hours later, much calmer. And then the next day we had a long talk about it. And essentially she's decided to continue using lunacy because first of all, we don't know yet that she wasn't first in order, right? My basic message was if it's even close, why get into a fight? Why spend any more time building up equity in this brand? Because what if six, eight months from now, a year from now, two years from now, you start to build fame and recognition, then then is the time that whoever actually has the priority in this brand is going to sue you. No right. one cares if you're a failure. They right. care about you if you're a success. So yeah. I said, why should we put any more time into this? Well, she's not ready to let go yet. So she's essentially going to use it as a product name and start to build out a new brand that is going to be her more official brand that she can start to build her new sense of self-worth around. And we don't have that brand yet. But this, in this case, the first thing we're going to do is searching. And that's both, you know, Google searching, Bing searching, um, and also um, doing a formal trademark search. You know, there are formal trademark registrations out there. But again, since trademark rights flow from usage, when you're doing a clearance search in trademark, or let's call it a freedom to operate search, it's really all about any trademarks that could have priority and keep you out of the marketplace. And those could both be both registered and unregistered marks. So I have a couple of curiosity questions for you before we 
move on to our weekly news bite. Um, first, doesn't it doesn't a trademark have to be used in commerce uh, in a particular? Isn't there something to do with like region or geography when it comes to where it can be enforced? So if this is an EU company, do they have a U.S. trademark, uh, or do we just assume that? That's a really good question, and. You know, I have a trademark lawyer in my firm that would love this question. She would eat it up. But when I first started as, a, as an IP lawyer, there was geographic questions when it came to trademarks. In fact, I'm trying to remember the case. I think it was called Dawn Donuts. And essentially, I think the case was about a donut shop that used the mark Dawn Donuts. And any trademark lawyers that are out there, forgive me if I'm totally screwing this up. But basically, you could have, you could have a trademark on a, the same product in an area that is geographically diverse from the other trademark owners. So if one person is in California and one, you know, small bakery shop in California and one's a small bakery shop in New York and the two are never going to cross, there'd be no likelihood of confusion. Because ultimately that's what it comes down to, right? Likelihood of confusion in the marketplace. So in those days, there was a big question of geography. Where are these marks being used? And one of the reasons that you would get a federal trademark rights in the U.S. is because you would gain what's called constructive use of the mark all over the U.S. So in the case of this, and again, it, I'm probably saying it wrong with Don Donuts, but I just seem to remember that name. My former boss at my former firm used to always talk about Don Donuts. Tom, go read the Don Donuts case. So I think I did once. But anyway... In that case, if there was a baker with the name Don Donuts in California and that baker secured a federal trademark registration, the baker in New York that never left the New York area and would never cross paths with this Don Donuts would still be infringing because you have what's called constructive use of your mark all over the U.S., right? But then there came this thing called the Internet. And honestly, it has changed everything because... Now, maybe not with respect to donuts, because I don't know how you sell those across the country, but with respect to almost all products, you can put up your website and make sales and advertising all over the world with respect to your website, right? So now you have a company in the UK that in, in 1980, it would have been unheard of to worry about them with respect to trademark infringement, but they're selling in the US right now. And I can, they're advertising for sale in the U.S. because they're on the web. So I don't know all the intricacies about this. And, and what I told, what I told uh, Kylie is if she's really serious about this, I will have one of my lawyers do some research and find out what the rights and liabilities are with respect to a U.K. company with an, a lunacy streetwear brand selling in the United States as compared to her, a U.S. company selling in the United States, but right. it doesn't smell good to me. Right. Yeah. It's a tricky situation. And when you're just starting off, you know, you're 18 and you're just starting your clothing brand, you don't have um, money for a retainer for a trademark lawyer to do all sorts of searches and look into yeah, like what your rights are. For tricky situations. You don't have the money for tricky situations. Yeah. When you're 18 years old, without a, a rich benefactor, you want to be as smart upfront as possible so that you don't get yourself into a position where after investing your few precious dollars or euros 
or yen or whatever part of the world you're in, you've got these and you have to make sure that every investment is like planting a seed and you, you build up around it to make sure nothing tramples it because you want it to grow into something. The last thing you want to do is get hammered with litigation. Yeah. Because then everything you've spent could be lost. Yeah, you'll have lessons from the school of hard knocks that will teach you the next time around. But you might not get another time around. Right. So, okay, my last question is, um, is uh, the difference between trademarks, trade dress, and design patents in the context of uh, clothing? And I might be just throwing out terms, not knowing what the heck I'm talking about, but... Here's what, here's what I'm getting at. Uh, I remember before I knew anything about IP, uh, a friend of mine's mom worked for Levi's and her whole job was to go around and find people who were infringing on the, the little like swoosh on the back pocket of the jeans because that was somehow fell under their trademark. Uh, <laughs> Or it was, it was some form of intellectual property for them. I know you're going to correct me in a moment. And so what I'm wondering is, does that fall under the trademark umbrella? And because um, in my mind, Levi would be the trademark. But is that a separate trademark owned by the Levi company? How does that all work when it comes yeah, to like the feel? That's a good question, particularly for me because I grew up in the Levi Strauss generation. You know, and and I heard the story about how Levi Strauss struck gold by selling to everyone who was trying to strike gold in the in the California gold rush. So the huh. smartest people in that gold rush were not the people going into the mountains for gold because they hardly made any money. It was the people selling them pants. So anyway, I now, I'm not from the gold rush generation, but when I grew up, Levi Strauss were the cool jeans. I don't know if they are anymore. Are they still? Um, now it's like um, Amber Crombie. And, right, you know, but it's not Levi anymore. And, so Levi yeah. has their brand, right? Lucky. So you, let's say, yeah, so let's say that so trademarks can be anything used in commerce to identify the source or origin of the product or services made, right? And the reason I like to say anything, I emphasize, you know how I emphasize that just now? Anything. It could be anything because it doesn't have to be a word. It could be a design. It could be an image. It could be a color, a color scheme. It could be a scent, a smell, an actual scent. There's a yarn company in California that in the 90s actually got a trademark on the scent of their yarn. Huh. The basic rationale was the scent of their yarn was not functional in nature. It was strictly designed so that you could tell. You know what I always think of? I bet you Plato has has a trademark. I don't know if they do, but when I grew up, we played with Plato, and it had this distinctive smell. Every time I smelled it, I knew it was Plato. I wonder if they have, but you could have a trademark on the shape of your product. You can have a trademark on the motif of your restaurant. And, and that gets us into the, your question of trade dress. Trade dress is a form of trademark. It's essentially, when you think of trademarks, you think of words and logos. But you can have a restaurant motif. There's this Mexican restaurant. I forgot what it was called. I think it's called Two Pesos or something like that. They got into a big trademark battle because somebody copied the motif, the, the look and feel of their restaurant. And they actually won. 
So they were they were validated in getting trademark trade dress protection. But trade dress is a form of trademark, right? Now, you mentioned also something called a design patent. So a design patent, I can see why you'd think that might be similar because a design patent, unlike a utility, a design patent is really almost totally different than a utility patent. To me, it shouldn't even have the name patent on it, but it does. But it is a little bit more closely related to the look of trademarks, although it has nothing to do with the goal of a trademark. A trademark, again, is anything to use to identify the source or origin of the product or service being brought to market. A design patent protects the ornamental design of something innovative. So if you, it's usually used a lot in like the um, in the in the cup industry and in the um, in industries where you can't really get a functional utility patent because it's just such a deep crowded market. They'll they'll have like like Tupperware would be a great industry for design patents. But they're really protecting the design. You can't copy the design. In a trademark, you technically could copy the the design. You technically could copy the word as long as it's in a very different industry. So it wouldn't create confusion in the marketplace. With respect to a design patent, it's all about the design, the ornamental nature of the innovation. Some people compare design patents more closely to copyrights than utility patents huh. because copyrights right. protect the, yeah. the, the oral or written or visual or audio embodiment of, an, of innovation. But again, it's preventing people from copying the design as opposed to preventing people from copying a design or a word in connection with a product or service as a trademark. Right. It's that funny. Yeah that, yeah, that was a very good, expl- a quick explanation. Um, it's almost like you're a professional at explaining the basics of intellectual property. You'd almost think that I'm the founder of a training company or something, you know, <laughs> or, a tra- or yeah. an IP lawyer. You'd yeah. get that impression, wouldn't you? Yeah. It's also funny that you mentioned Tupperware because I think that that's an, an example of trademark dilution. Yeah. The reason I I paused before, listen, I paused before mentioning Tupperware and I didn't want to mention it. Oh, shoot. I just, just because that is a trademark brand and everyone thinks of it as an industry. And I don't know, is it generic now? I mean, I've never done a search on the the Tupperware trademark. What's that? Velcro, but it's hook and loop. It's not Velcro. Exactly. Inline skating, not, not, not rollerblades, right? Right. So Tupperware, I didn't want to get into that dangerous area because I, Poor Tupperware. I sadly think of it as an industry. They've been so successful, so wildly successful that their powerful brand is, I don't even know if it's been genericized yet, but yeah. um, it's funny you mentioned that because I was hesitating. I was really hesitating. I did not want to say the word Tupperware, but but you look at a lot of design patents around these, these reusable food containers. Exactly. Think containers, yes. Yes, containers. That's the word I was trying to pull. Yes. So, so let's move on to our weekly um, IP news bite. We've been um, uh, every podcast. We'll spend a few minutes just talking about what's in the news, and of course, right now, um, Britain's official exit from the EU, um, otherwise known as Brexit. Um, and and I and I had a sense that there would be some pretty deep and widespread intellectual property issues come up as a result of this, um, none of which I know anything about. So I wanted to get your commentary on it. Yeah. So I know very little about it as well, but let me just give you as a, as a high, high level uh, view. 
the Brexit occurred, and now we're in the transition period. The transition period, I guess, is from February 1st, 2020 to the end of 2020. And that includes the intellectual property unwinding. Now, can you imagine the unwinding? I don't know as I sit here how long the EU has been the EU, but there has been an EU patent system, right? Now, there's also been independent nations within the EU that have had, you know, independent, you know, intellectual property rights. So basically what I'm, I'm guessing is that there's a whole bunch of issues that have to be unwound that were related to the former interrelationship between the UK and the EU that are going to have to come apart as the UK becomes its own thing. But unfortunately, I don't know much about that yet. Maybe on the next, that'll be my homework for the next podcast. Yeah, I think it's a, re- a really interesting topic because there are so many complicated um, aspects to Brexit. And I feel like um, intellectual property is one that that might get overlooked, uh, but but the implications could last for decades and decades. Except I'm pretty sure that we've had all our you know national patent offices anyway. We still had a German patent office. We still had a right. French patent office. You know, we still had a UK patent office. So I'm guessing that the unwinding is going to go in a... There's probably a lot of other more complicated Brexit issues than the IP system because we've had our national offices, and I think they're all still in place. Right. Yeah, I guess the, the big question is, are all of the EU patents still going to be enforced in in Britain because it's no longer part of the EU. In fact, you know, without mentioning any names right now, we are going to have that European law firm coming into the US to do some training videos. And yeah. maybe what we'll ask them to do is give us, a, give us a primer on what's happening with the Brexit. That yeah. Be, maybe so, we'll have them on our podcast. Yeah, hey, that's not a bad idea. Maybe they'd, maybe they'd like to join us. We'll, we'll have to send them a link to this one and they can, uh, they can educate us on the next episode. That sounds great. All right. Well, thank you, Tom. And thanks, everyone, for watching. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, spread the word about the podcast, uh, Stuff You Should Know About IP. Mm